0: Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Before we get into the show, I want to say a couple of things. First, Giving Tuesday, thank you to everyone listening to this podcast who helped with our Giving Tuesday fundraising. We had a $25,000 match. We were able to meet that match, so it turned out to be by far the biggest day in the history of our organization. We run a very lean machine here at animalwellnessaction.org. We don't, don't even have a headquarters, right? So all of your dollars go as much as possible very much toward the advocacy of uh, better lives for animals so I really want to say thank you to all of that um, all of those donations we receive so thank you very much and then just a couple of auditory notes Uh, one of our guests you may hear her bird Uh, what kind of bird is it Jessica
1: Quaker parrot her name is Brody B. Chipkin
0: all right. Well, I'm not going to try and repeat the name, but you will hear the bird in the background perhaps. And then um Scott, I moved recently to to downtown Louisville. I'd been living for years out in the rural part of the state and I'm right now in the middle of downtown and I didn't realize that my apartment is right on the way to the major emergency room here in the city. So, <laughs> invariably during a show, you'll hear sirens you may hear the chopper in the background airlifting <coughs> some poor guy who sawed off his arm while trying to get a Christmas tree
2: <laughs>
0: steaming past sirens ablazing, uh, on on um, in, in the background. Yeah, I know. I know. It's well, I, I appreciate those he-
2: those heads up. We've got Jessica with her bird. We've got uh, Joseph with uh, the sirens. Just so you know, I live on a hillside above downtown Sutherland, Oregon, and And uh, I'm surrounded by eight hundred and forty acres of forest. And there's a, a a large family of coyotes that live in these woods. And what happens here is we get the sirens from downtown, which get picked up by the coyotes who start howling and yipping and yapping because of the sirens. And then every dog in Sutherland, Oregon, hears the coyotes, and then they start. so, if that happens, I don't know what we're going to do. We may just have to like turn the whole pod- podcast over to, to <laughs> that kind of Sense.
0: <laughs> yeah so so yeah any patience on the part of our listeners as they suffer through the various auditory yeah. maladies we're, we're going to foist upon them would be uh, appreciated so so thank you for all of that uh, as is our custom we start off each show with a legislative update from marty irby he's our executive director and our chief lobbyist in washington uh, marty what's going on up there on the hill
3: Well, this may be one of our final legislative reports for the 117th Congress and the year 2022. We continue to work on the FDA Modernization Act that passed the Senate by unanimous consent back on September 29th and has passed the House in different form once. That's not enough to send it to the president's desk yet. We're trying to get the Senate bill, a standalone bill passed through the House of Representatives on what they call the suspension calendar so that it can go to the president's desk or get the legislation included in the final year in spending bill if that happens this congress we don't really know but i do think with some of the dynamics of members leaving we will likely see that get done and signed into law as well we're also continuing to work on the bear protection act that legislation is also the bear poaching elimination act in the senate as a different name the senate bill went through a process last week of what they call hotlining. That's where they actually send the bill out and ask if they can pass it and if anyone objects or puts a hold on the bill. We had three holds placed on that bill. We do not know who the members of Congress are at this time. So we're still going to keep working to try to get that bill passed and signed into law. It addresses the trade and bear gallbladders because... The Chinese government has been promoting the use of bear bile as a treatment for COVID-19 with no scientific basis since the very beginning of COVID. And it's a terrible, terrible injustice what's happening to these bears and a terrible waste on top of that because they simply raise them and kill them only for this very, very small gallbladder that they have. And they don't really use the rest of the bear parts at all. So it's a a terrible injustice and terrible waste. Uh, I don't know if we'll get that done or not, but we're going to keep trying And then I think we're probably on everything else set. That's probably going to wind us up for the 117th Congress. We'll have a few more priorities in the year-end spending bill. That'll be, you know, the increased funding for enforcement of the Horse Protection Act, maintaining the horse slaughter defund that's been in place for a better part of uh, 12 or 14 years. And uh, we'll keep pressing forward to the 118th Congress, where you're going to see a lot of new bills introduced and some new priorities. We'll fill you in on about that in the coming few weeks.
0: Thank you for that, Marty. I appreciate it. Good work, as always. Thank you so much. Uh, Now, to get into the show, you know, this time of year, you, you hear it all the time. Thanksgiving turkeys, Christmas hams, so much of the tradition of this time of year is predicated not only on eating, but on the certain foods that we consume. Unfortunately, the staples of many of these holiday meals are, in fact, animals. Now, it's, it's easy and, in fact, tempting to imagine that these animals live great, carefree lives, uh, living their, their best turkeydom, their best pigdom out there, uh, when, in fact, we, we know, if we, and if we allow ourselves to believe it, we can grasp this, that they don't live good lives. And that's the focus of our show today, ending the era of extreme confinement and the horrors upon animals that come with them. And we have two great guests, to address that with us. Uh, representing Animal Wellness Action is Scott Beckstead. He is our director of campaigns. After receiving his bachelor's degree from Utah State University and his JD from the University of Utah, Scott worked as an attorney in private practice on the central Oregon coast before going to work full-time in the animal protection sector. He became known for his special expertise in the field of animal law and has taught that subject at the University of Oregon and Willamette University Law Schools. In 2000, he co-authored Animal Law, the first case book on the subject, and continues to teach animal law, wildlife law, and policy, and endangered, God, this is hard to say, Scott, and Endangered Species Act as an adjunct professor of law at Willamette University. Also with us is Jessica Chipkin. Uh, I'm getting to know her for the first time, and we're really grateful she's here. She is the founder and president of Crate Free USA, an organization whose mission is simply to reduce the suffering of animals on factory farms. Founded in 2015, the group believes there's really no difference between cruelty inflicted on a dog, cat, bird, horse, chicken, calf, or pig. They try to create awareness of the extreme and inhumane confinement of hogs, chickens, and cows on factory farms, educate consumers on how to purchase from local sustainable farmers, and they also advocate for legislation to eliminate extreme confinement practices. So what better time of year and what better guests uh, could there be possibly to talk about extreme confinement? So welcome to you both. Jessica, I want to start with you. So thanks for being here. I appreciate that. Thank Um, you. uh, Yes. And uh, so you know, I think people have seen the PETA videos, they may have kind of uh, this amorphic awareness of what the animals go through. What do people not know?
1: You know, it's interesting. I don't think people really know all that much. I think there's an extreme disconnect between um, what people see in in the store, shrink wrap, and their knowledge of what happens to that animal before it gets to your plate. And I And I just want to say that that was really one of the motivating things that got me the idea to start the organization is um, I had just become aware of things like gestation crates. I was kind of late to the party. That was like eight years ago. And I was in Walmart and there was a woman wearing a t-shirt. She worked for a a dog rescue. And there was also, um, I had just learned about an investigation at a Walmart pig supplier um, about abuses and extreme confinement. And so I'm looking at what she was buying a piece of pork and thinking about that. And then looking at her t-shirt and I'm realizing if she really loves animals, she wouldn't be buying this piece of pork. So I actually, um, and then I followed her out into the parking lot and I talked to her about it. And she was like, I think she was a little bit put off by me, but then I realized like people really, really don't know that much, which just makes our job more important about educating people. And it goes beyond being vegan or vegetarian. I mean, I happen to be vegan, but I really believe very, very strongly that the drive to make life better for these animals. And there's like close to two billion animals on factory farms um, as of now um, that everybody has a role in it and it shouldn't be thought of something that's like the pilot, the the mission of a vegan org- organization um it should be there's there's room for everybody to make change in here and actually our audience really, tends to be more meat eaters because vegans really aren't part of this problem. Um, And I really believe that a lot of people aren't planning to give up meat. So it's very important that that's our audience. We have to like educate these people about how animals are raised, how they contact, how they get in touch with local farmers, do the labels that they see like like, um, animal welfare approved or humane certified, which of those labels really mean? Because there's an awful lot of humane washing going on in the industry right now. So I'm losing track of your original question, but there's no, a That's
0: okay. I, yeah. I I did too. So we're just, yeah. we're, we're yeah. free flow yeah, around here. Yeah. We just did so it. Yeah, but there's a, couple on a couple lot of
1: education of, that needs to be done.
0: Yeah, you're touching on, on a couple of things that I want to get to. Very, very significant ones. I'll tell you what did it for me before I got heavily involved in animal advocacy. Two things in particular, um, thumping. Where uh, pig farmers uh, take the piglets who don't seem to be commercially viable and um, thump them to death, which is, I guess, a euphemism for smashing them onto the ground um, mm. so they don't have to do anything with them. And then um, maceration. And I, I think I'm saying that correctly. It, it is out of some sort of Kafkaesque nightmare what happens to male baby chicks. And you know this as well as I do, right? So yeah, chickens, eggs, great. But the idea that there are people whose only job is to sit there at a conveyor belt and determine a male chick from its female siblings, and then throw that male chick into a grinder where it is ground alive. That for me really said, holy cow, beyond what we might imagine, there is a world of horror there and And that's not really a question, I suppose, just as a way of addressing it for myself, that I don't yeah, think people yeah. really understand it,
1: yeah, that i I've seen that. I mean, I'm aware of that. and um, thank God there's technology now. um i think I think I read that it was in France or somewhere in the EU that um they could determine the sex um while while the animal is still in an egg, and then they could just you know, get rid of the egg before the animals even hatch. So there is that technology now. And I mean, that's another great mission to get involved with is making sure the U.S. picks up on that technology.
0: Yeah, we we, we seem to be a little bit late on that. Before we get into humane washing, which is a fascinating subject because it's confusing as hell to me, you know, what, what these various labels mean when I'm trying to pick out something that might be cruelty free at the grocery store. But let's talk about cost. I ask about this in a lot of shows that deal with improving lives for animals. We want them to have one bad day, right? Uh, animal Wellness Action, our founder and president, Wayne Paselli, has, has never made uh, giving up meat as a dietary staple a sine qua non for, you know, uh, comportment with, with our issues. But isn't it the case that if we insist on animals having more space that they're treated better doesn't that potentially drive up the cost of meat and make it more difficult for for people at the lower end of our economic spectrum to eat?
1: Well, there there have been let's put it this way. I think part of, I think if you go to a farmers market and you look at the price of um, pork or chicken that's raised by local farmers, it is going to be more money. And I think one of the ways to address that, and if you go into the store and you look at the cost of the eggs that are pasture raised and the normal egg, you're going to see a difference. So when that question does come up, and I have a few answers for that. um, First of all, you don't have to eat meat, animal products every single day. I think that if you look at the overall cost, um, that in the end will come out equal for you, if you reduce your, and this is what I always tell people, reduce your meat intake, reduce your intake of animal products, and substitute it with more plant-based or vegetarian, and you'll still get the protein you need, but you'll also be driving down your own cost, so that's part of the solution. Um, The other part of the solution, uh, another part of the solution, is that if you talk to farmers um, that are keeping their animals, like, they're adopting group housing methods, that cost you typically is not I was just talking to a, an academic about that. That cost is typically not passed on to the retailer. Um I don't know if the you know the grounding for that, but I, I just had that conversation with someone. Um, now the question, you know, another question that I asked myself, if it does cost the uh, cause the cost of the product to go up a, up a little bit, can is is there some type of can can the retailer absorb that cost in some way too? I mean, a lot of the retailers that we work for are extremely extremely profitable. Can they can they take a slight hit if if that's in ca- that if that happens to be true? But other things that I've read and I read the research, it really doesn't drive up the cost. And I think as more um, producers adopt some of the newest technology to reduce confinement time, that's that's that will be the case that the cost won't go up. And another thing that um I want to say that a lot and this is something that was an important project for us this year is that a lot of farmers markets now are accepting well in Illinois we call them link and link match snap benefits right now and um, in Illinois, for instance not only do a lot of farmers markets now take link benefits again our equivalent equivalent of snap, they also do do link match. So I did the math that if if somebody who's on, um food stamps goes into a farmer's market that accepts this program that the amount of money that they spend on meat and local produce will easily match what they're going to pay in you know their local grocery store. So that's another trend that we're seeing too. So I think a combination of things eating less meat can drive down your own costs. Um and yeah I mean that's really the key. And gotcha. That's
0: gotcha. Really key let's move over then to humane washing, right? So if I go to the grocery store, what labels should I look for if I really want to make a difference with my pocketbook?
1: What labels should you look for? Right.
0: So if I want to make sure that I buy animals that have as few bad days as possible, that are raised as humanely as possible forget organic and all this stuff because we know that organic doesn't mean anything relative to the animal's well-being what what labels can i look for that help me believe that what i'm eating has lived its best life possible given the fact that i'm I'm, i had it killed and i'm going to eat it anyway
1: yeah um animal and scott you might know this too animal welfare approved um humane certified not American humane certified, humane certified. I, I have there's a list on our, our website too, if somebody wants to go. I I'm not, I don't have that list in front of me. Um, but I'm kind of the more I read about this, I'm 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 getting more and more skeptical to what, what this really means. Does it mean that the animals are outside, or does it mean that the animals are inside, but they're not confined? So I'm a healthy skeptic skeptic these days of those things too. For instance, I'll give you a good example. Um, Aldi last year and this year has on their chicken um, a label called One Health Certified. And, um, you know, it had, you know, tiny writing on it that said like about sustainably raised and things like that. So you, yeah. you really have to be careful. Things gotcha. Like that.
0: And I want to give um, your website here. It's cratefreeusa.org. Uh, and, uh, that's the place where our listeners can go to find the labeling,
1: the labels. labels, Yeah. right. And I also want to say that the ASPCA has a fantastic, um, page called, um, shop with your heart. Um, so they too have a really, really good list of brands that you could look for. Um, so above and beyond the labels, um, we also have to remember that a lot of the, the, again, my focus is more on pork. We have to remember that a lot of the, um, the the suppliers that are raising the animals correctly, like I'll get, throw some names out, like Nyman Ranch. Um, I'm not even sure if they have a label on them. So you also have to know the names of the producers. Like if you could go to Nyman Ranch's website and find out where you could buy their products, um, you could know that the animals are outside. Clemens is another one. Clemens uh, Supplies does a lot of Trader Joe's pork. Trader Joe's will have a label that says no crates ever. Um, Clemens does not keep their animals outside, but they've done a really, really good job with group housing, keeping them out of crates. So there's certain brands like Maple Leaf too. I mean, they have, um, you know, they're largely Canadian, but they sell here too. They've done an excellent job in reducing confinement time to like seven to nine days or less. So it's not gotcha. only a matter of labels, it's a matter of knowing the names of the producers that are really, really doing well.
0: All right, and I'll put some of those names that you just cited into our show notes because if you're driving, listening to this podcast, don't don't write it down while you drive. We love you too. It's not just about the animals. We don't want our, our listeners to drive into an embankment taking notes from the show. I want to go back to um, Jessica in a moment to ask about her work uh, relative to Aldi, to Costco, uh, and to uh, what she's doing to help teach children. Before I do that, though, Scott, uh, give us your perspective as director of campaigns for Animal Wellness Action. What that organization is doing to help these extremely confined animals.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the the uh, from an animal welfare perspective, uh, the treatment of food animals has to be uh, it, considered the number one animal welfare problem in the United States, if not the world, just because of the sheer number of animals that, uh, that, that we raise uh, to be consumed in this country. So, somewhere from, from 9 to 10 billion animals a year uh, are raised in this country uh, for food. Uh, And so just from from the sheer volume alone, uh, how we treat animals that we raise for food has to be considered uh, one of the most, if not the most, consequential animal welfare uh, problem of our time. Um, And, you know, the the vast majority of, of animals that are slaughtered for food are raised in intensive confinement systems. Uh, that is changing, I believe. Um, and, uh, and you know, just because I think uh, people are becoming more aware, people are becoming more conscious, people are demanding greater transparency about how their food is produced. But the work that we do at Animal Wellness Action is, uh, is political. And so uh, we, for example, we uh, have been working on the Pigs in Gestation Stalls or Pigs Act in Congress, uh, which is a bill that uh, that we have had introduced that would basically ban the use of uh, of gestation crates to confine uh, mother pigs. Um, and And then of course, we have been very active in uh, defending Prop 12, which is the uh, ballot measure that was passed overwhelmingly, by voters in California that banned the intensive confinement of uh, pigs, uh, chickens, egg-laying hens, and uh, and calves used for veal. Uh, And the National Pork Producers Council, as well as the Farm Bureau and other what I call big ag groups, uh, brought a lawsuit to challenge Prop 12. Uh, And what they objected to was the provision in Prop 12 that said that out-of-state producers that uh, want to um, sell their products in California have to um, raise their animals w- uh, according to the same standards uh, in Prop 12, even though they are out of, you know, somewhere outside of California. We took a very active role in, uh, in defending uh, that, that law. Uh, we filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court, and we are still waiting. Uh, there was oral arguments several weeks ago, and we are now waiting for the Supreme Court's ruling. But it's an issue uh, that is an an absolute priority for animal wellness action, uh, and and uh, something that you know that we will continue to work on uh, in the future. Uh, not not just you know trying to address the law, but also you know making sure that we are you know doing. Uh, work like supporting the things that Jessica is doing, and making sure people understand that they do have a choice in, uh, in you know their their food decisions.
0: So Jessica, thank you. And what I like about what we're talking about today, and the way we're discussing it, is that we do have Animal Wellness Action doing kind of the legislative side. You're putting uh, equal pressure on the consumer side. How is Crate Free USA taking its message? To the masses i know you've got work going on relative to aldi to costco tell us about those programs and what you hope will come from them
1: yeah i mean the first one we did back in 2018 was trader joe's and everyone gets trader joe's and aldi mixed up they think it's part of the same company many many years ago i mean does have the same parent company but they're run by two brothers and there is a total um division between the operations the people so they're really Operate as separate entities. Um, Trader Joe's, we did have relatively good success with. um, uh, Based on uh, because of our work, Trader Joe's um, now has most of its fresh pork coming from um, a producer that, like I said, does not confine, does not use gestation crates, but the pigs still aren't outside. Um, but that was a that was a good change and they're still updating their products and um, they have a timeline that they they appear to be working from. Um, ALDI has been a, um, a difficult campaign. We started the campaign three years ago and um, our goal is to get them to commit to a timeline to end the use of gestation crates in their supply chain. So way back yet when, when we first started the campaign, um, we had an opportunity to meet with Aldi in their headquarters. Um, they weren't happy about the press that the campaign was getting. And it's one of the, um, I think there's like 360,000 people have signed that petition and it keeps growing. Um, and Aldi did make a change, I'll put that in air quotes, on its public animal welfare, policy page to say, we expect our suppliers to um, transition from gestation crates to group housing, but that you know the key word of course is expect and expectation to could go on in perpetuity and and like I always tell people when I speak. um, Every year I tell my family and friends I expect to lose 20 pounds, and I've been saying that for like 20 years actually this year I did. But it did go on for a very, very long time as any. So th- that phrase was very in- intentional on, on their part. And since that time, they've been very, very silent. Um, there's been no response from anything that we, we, we do. Um, so that they, it's been a frustrating experience um, to get Aldi to commit to making this kind of change. Do you so, have a
0: petition on your website? Uh, what uh, yeah, there's a homepage.
1: page. Yeah, we just we just did a video. Um, there, there's a on our website. There's a page where it says I think it says take action, and there's a section for Aldi and Costco and Trader Joe. So uh, we oh. just did a, a video about Aldi too. Um, you know, and another frustrating thing about Aldi also is that they're always touting their vegan um, inventory. And uh, they win a lot of awards, like Best Vegan Grocer. And I always feel, and you know, I try to make people aware that vegans really care about animal welfare. So I kind of invented the term vegan washing, that just because you carry a lot of vegan products doesn't mean that you've committed to change animal welfare policies in your supply chain. So I just hope that vegans who buy from Aldi, because they do have a lot of vegan food, Also have to understand that this has nothing to do with animal welfare. Aldi doesn't sell vegan products because it has a a high commitment to animal welfare. It's profitable.
0: You have a mobile app to help people. And I believe it's tied to local farmers.
1: Yeah. Can I tell you about Costco first? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So Costco is, is kind of a different situation. Like a lot of companies like Kroger, um, uh, McDonald's, uh, about 10 years ago, there was a lot of talk from these, these companies saying that they would by 2022, 2023, they were gonna transition away from gestation crates for pregnant sows. That's the key word for pregnant sows. Um, what they didn't include in their statements is that the producers that they buy from, the Smithfields, JBS, et of the world, they even they keep pigs in gestation stalls for the first six weeks of their pregnancy cycles to because they say that's how long they need to determine if they're pregnant. So even these companies that have said by 2022, 2023, will have been totally transitioned to group housing for pregnant sows, they never say that they're kept in crates for the first six weeks, which is one third of their pregnancy cycles. Um, so you'll know in all this messaging, it always says pregnant sounds, um, pregnant pigs, pregnant sounds. So we're we've been trying to call Costco out on the fact that they can't really say that they'll be crate free by a certain year because their big suppliers still keep um, pigs in crates for the first six weeks. So what's interesting though, is Costco appears to be making attempts to talk with suppliers who are no, who have, made advancements in deter- getting the determination of pregnancy down to nine to um, 12 days through different types of technologies, through key, um, electronic key detection, um, radio frequency, I mean, different types of ultrasounds. it The technology, I hate for this to become a technology decision because for us, it shouldn't be a technical decision, but I think the reality and the logistics of production, it ver- it is. But so I applaud Costco for apparently making the attempt to do this. But it well, just thank also you for
0: saying that. Yeah, thank you for saying that because it's important to not only wag our fingers at the Absolutely. underperforming companies, but to hold up those who are doing well. So yeah, so bravo to, partners, to Costco.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, it's frustrating because everything takes so long.
0: <laughs> right. You know, yeah, I mean, it takes you so did. Long. You wanted me to ask you about um the importance of. Patience. You said that's yeah. one thing that you've really had to learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've learned patience from my bird and I've also <laughs> learned patience of being an animal welfare activist. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do, really. Um, it just is like, you know, that expression, um, it's it's a marathon, you know, it's not a sprint. I mean, it's a, it's a marathon. It blows my mind how long it should take. And it's really makes me sad that it should take so long, but it it really does. You know, we really, really
0: one of my favorite quotes, I bring it up on the show from time to time from Martin Luther King Jr. You know, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it does bend toward justice. Um, Talk about how you're teaching children about this, this stuff, Jessica, that's really what we need to do. I think at the end of the day is raise up good people.
1: Yeah, Um, it's something that we an effort we started before COVID really hit. So COVID kind of made that go away, but we are going to be rebooting that next year. We started going into um, classrooms, elementary school kids, and we had a really interesting presentation about teaching kids where animals come from. Um, And again, we started with elementary school kids. We plan to expand to middle school and, you know, some high school and even college next year. Um, And I really feel like these, we're educating our future consumers. We're not saying you can't eat animal products. We're saying, you know, you wanna make sure you have decisions you can make and your family can make. You can just not eat animal, no, not eat pork, chicken and eggs or you can pay attention to where you're buying it from. So we don't show that the insides of gestation crates or, you know, a factory farms, but, you know, we have like a video of chickens running around, like chickens need to be outside, yay, you know, things like that. I mean, just really basic because these were really young kids. Um, and we have these, like, these models that we have of pigs in gestation crates and, you know, it's a stuffed pig, but it just, you know, we use that to show like, this is how much room the pig has. I mean, it can't even turn around you know, and kids are like, they're amazed by it. And it interests me how little kids really know, like one of the first questions we asked is, who knows where eggs come from? The store, you know, so that kind of threw me off. And but kids ask amazing questions too. Like, I'll always remember this one little boy said, well, can't we just kill them for food after they grow old and die from old age? And I'm thinking, that's an amazing question that really gave me pause. Like, that was an important question. So kids really are interested in this. And I really, you know, I know we had impact because one of the teachers told me afterwards that it was lunchtime and this little girl had a chicken salad sandwich and she started to cry <laughs> because she didn't know where the chicken had the chicken lived. And I thought I felt bad that the little girl started to cry, but I thought, man, we really made an influence. She's gonna go home and talk to her parents. So um, you know, I really. Now that, well, it's COVID ever behind us, but we are going to be scaling that up and getting back into doing that Um, next year. I have my, I have fortunate enough to have a volunteer that's a teacher and I have a few others that are really, really good with kids. So we're kind of updating our presentation and, you know, I'm working with some other organizations to get some, um, some classes scheduled. And again, I just want to say, you know, sometimes when you hear about see all the mass murders and mass shootings now, so many of the shooters are really young; they're like teenagers. And a part of me really believes that I—I I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if they also molested animals when they were kids. Well,
0: well, no, it's—it's it's I mean, a physical it's no fact. fact. Yeah, well, that's no right. Fact. Yeah, and that's a <laughs> core component, you know, of our um, uh, animal cruelty enforcement work. Right, so we're we're trying to lobby the Department of Justice to create a special animal crimes unit. And one of the justifications for that is exactly what you pointed out, Jessica. And that is that many times these mass murderers start off with animals. And if we can get the officers out there to identify these young perpetrators, we can potentially prevent casualties at schools, grocery stores, movie theaters, uh, et cetera. So so bulletproof for knowing that.
1: Yeah, so we want to teach kids, and this is the basic premise. There's really no difference in cruelty like we have on our website to a dog, a cat, or a chicken, or a pig. And, you know, what? As actually, as we're talking, I had an idea. Like, we have this model of a pig in a gestation crate. I think I want to, I should make a note. Um, um, I also want to do a dog to size in a gestation crate. And, you know, kids would be horrified just like adults would be. It's like, this is how the dog spends its life, but this is how the pig spends its life. Is there really any difference? So I think that might be a really, you know, I'm always thinking, that might be a really good way to show kids there's really no difference. And I think it's such a great age to reach them at.
0: What have I not asked you that you want to be sure we get to our listeners in this podcast before I go to Scott for a wrap up?
1: Yeah, well, very briefly our mobile app. That's one of the first things that, my background is technology. And uh, one of the first things that I did um, when I first started the organization is I wanted to find a way for, um, we're actually, you know, I was focused on Illinois. So it's called the Illinois Guide to Factory Free Meat, Dairy, and Eggs. So we, over the years, we have hundreds and hundreds of local farmers. Um, it's, you know, it's easy to see their information, to buy from them through the app. You know, and we've added in recent years the um, farmers markets farmers markets that take link cards. We are adding farm to table restaurants and stores. So we keep adding to it, but it's a free app. You could download it from our website. We've only done it for Illinois. So, uh, you know, other states keep asking, are you going to do it? But it's really, you know, a great tool to helping people. So that's been really important for us
3: too.
0: Well, if you decide to go to other states, we have a growing list of state directors. Our Kentucky state director, Sam Rogers, is very involved in you know, we're right next door. We share a border, uh, so you know, consider us interested. Yeah. Uh, in yes, learning sure. more, more about that, um, Scott, you've heard a lot. You know a lot about this issue. Uh, what would you say to help us wrap up our discussion today on the extreme confinement of animals?
2: Uh, well, thanks, uh, Joseph and and Jess. It's been. Uh, it's always. I always learn something new whenever I I talk to you. Um, Thank you. And, and, Love the work you're doing. Um, you know, I teach a, a class uh, in animal agriculture law, and the study of factory farming is a, a, a huge component of that. And I'm surprised that even law students that are in their 20s and 30s uh, are largely unaware of you know how the animals we raise uh, for food are treated. Um, but I do believe that education is fundamentally important and that's why I love teaching that class and that's why I'm thrilled to hear about Jessica getting into elementary schools. Um, but I think that the, the the takeaway here is that you know this is not an effort to make anyone stop eating animal products but rather just to um, educate yourself and get the information uh, that you need to make an informed choice because as I said, at the beginning of the show, people want more information about how their their food is produced. People want to know that uh, animals raised for their food were treated humanely, uh, and so you know, uh, as long as people are making the decision to consume those animal products, uh, we have an obligation as advocates for those animals to make sure that we let them know that there are choices available. And the number one thing that uh, uh, consumers that that consume these animal products can do is to make the decision to stop buying grocery store meat, dairy, and eggs, and instead go to your local farmer's market, get to know those producers, look them in the eye, talk to them about how they raise their, their animals, uh, that, to me, is uh, is the very least that we can do if we're making the decision to consume these products. That is the very least we can do so that we are at least contributing to producers that are making the effort to give their animals the best life possible.
0: And I think, too, I want to go back to what Jessica was saying about knowing the manufacturers that do the right thing by their animals or, or relatively speaking, do the most right thing possible. Because it, I think it's unrealistic to ask everybody to go to farmers' markets. A lot of them in colder climes are seasonal. Uh, you know, it, it takes far more effort to make a special trip to a farmer's market. I think those of us, and I consider myself part of this group, who like to go to farmers' markets and do spend money there. I think that's a great idea. But what I think I'd like us to do, Scott, with InsideAnimalWellnessAction.org is to also f- provide a place as jessica does with cratefreeusa.org uh, a list of those food manufacturers that that do those right things so i think you have a great point scott i'll thank you for that jessica thank you so much for for being on the show it took us a while to uh, get it together uh, and uh, it was worth the wait and i think it's all the more timely because we are gearing up for that christmas season when when so much of the holiday attention is put on uh, you know buying and eating Christmas hams, So maybe if you're thinking about buying a Christmas ham, you can start with this this holiday season uh, by buying a humanely raised pig. And as I go through gratitudes, I wanna say thank you so much to our audience for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. Also on the website, your donations matter. You can find many ways to uh, make us part of your giving experience you can find us on facebook and twitter and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on itunes podbean stitcher or spotify i'm your host joseph grove and we'll be back soon with another episode of the animal wellness podcast